You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Amen. You may be seated. Man, I could just do that whole worship set all over again. That was awesome this morning. Man. But instead, you get to hear me preach, and so that's what I'm doing. Life is, is filled with, with choices. I mean, thank you for the four of y'all who applauded. I'm sure my wife was one of them down here as well. Life is, is filled with choices. And we make choices and then those choices make us. And you might be at a place right now where you're in the middle of making a pretty heavy decision. Maybe about your job. You know, do I stay in this job? Do I look for another job? Or I'm looking for a job. Maybe you're some decisions right now with relationships. You know, do I pursue this relationship? Do I say yes to this relationship? How do I establish a better relationship maybe within my marriage, my family? How do I establish good relationships with, with friends and, and coworkers? And you're trying to make perhaps a choice about some of those relationships. Or maybe it's moms and dads about your kids. You know, what, what school do our kids go to? How do we help our kids make the right friends? How do we help our kids grow up loving Jesus? I mean, probably all of us in this house, we're at some point or another, we're kind of in the middle of that, that time where we can't decide, do, do, I, do I move on with this or do I hold on to this? Do I move forward or, or do I stay still? And a lot of times in the middle of choices, in the middle of decisions, we're, we're kind of frozen in this, this, this thought of indecision. Should I move forward or should I, should I stay still? And sometimes it almost brings us to a, a place of spiritual instability, James 1 writes about this when James says, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And sometimes we feel perhaps double-minded when it comes to choices or decisions that we need to make. Uh, that word unstable is a really interesting word in Greek. It's the word akatasatos. In fact, the word kind of makes it almost sound like you're kind of tossing these, these thoughts back and forth. It's a really fun word to say, so I figured we could all learn that Greek word together this morning. So why don't you say this with me? Say aka. Toss a toss. One more time. Aka, toss a toss. Now all together. Aka, toss a toss. Listen to you Greeks in here. Amazing. That, that, that word, aka, toss a toss in, in Greek is actually the word of a drunkard who is stumbling his way through the streets. This unstable, I'm uncertain what's going to happen next. I don't even know where I am. And sometimes when we are double-minded, we're just like that drunkard stumbling, stumbling through the streets. Aka, toss a toss. I can't decide which way to go. You know, the Lord in his generosity, the Lord in his graciousness toward us has given us some great tools to make good decisions, to make the right choices. He's given us, if you will, a map, which is God's holy word. He's given us a conscience to help us to understand uh, the the right way, the wrong way to, to handle something. And then most importantly, he has actually given each of you, believers in Christ, a personal guidance counselor. He is the Holy Spirit. And often we come to a brand new place in life. It's not really the map. Sometimes we have a difficult time understanding what the map is saying. And sometimes we can't trust our own compass. But we come to a brand new place. I want you to be encouraged today. If you're in Christ Jesus, you have a counselor. One who will guide you. One who will help you with those tough decisions. One who will give you that peace and and the right instructions. The, The Holy Spirit will, because of the promises of God, lead you in the right paths. Or as you may have memorized it, lead us in paths of righteousness. So this morning, I want us to talk through what that looks like to really have a foundation of being spirit 
led. We're in a series right now where we looked at different really bedrock principles that we're gonna have to hold on to, Christians, during difficult days and difficult times. And we've been looking at all these different foundations, and this is foundation number nine. There'll be a tenth foundation next Sunday morning, but this ninth foundation is the foundation of being spirit-led. Now, make sure you understand in your notes or on the screen behind me, that's a capital S spirit. I'm not talking about your small S spirit or my small S spirit. I'm not talking about some feeling that we might have. I'm also not talking about some impersonal force. I am talking about the Holy Spirit of God himself. What that foundation might look like for us this morning and this week and this life to truly be led by the Spirit, which kind of begs the question, who's the Holy Spirit? That's kind of where we'll start this morning. Who is the Holy Spirit? I've got two things for you just to kind of either remind you of who the Holy Spirit is or maybe this morning teach you who the Holy Spirit is. Here's the very first thing. He is God. The Holy Spirit is God. We have often reduced the Holy Spirit of being kind of subpar God to God the Father and and God the Son, but the Holy Spirit, he is God. In Acts chapter five, when, when Peter was dealing with Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira had just lied about what they had given to the Lord. And when, when Peter pulls him down and says to Ananias, now listen, you have lied against the Holy Spirit. You've not lied against man, you've lied against God. And in saying that, Peter equates the godness of God the Father and the Holy Spirit. When Paul was writing to the church of Corinth, he said in 2 Corinthians chapter three, the Lord is the Spirit, capital S. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom, or there is liberty. So the Lord is the spirit. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, I want you to understand he is God. And we talk about the Trinity. I know sometimes um, that's such a difficult thing. I promise you it's difficult to preach. I know often it's difficult to understand. I wanna make sure we have this understanding this morning of our triune God or, or Trinitarian understandings, if you don't mind. And here's what I put in my notes and put on the screen. You can put in your notes or put in your heart. Here it is. There's only one God who exists eternally as three distinct persons. Operative words, one. Operative word, eternally. Operative word, three. There's one God who exists eternally as three distinct persons. Now, in saying that, I want you to understand that means that we're not modalist here at Highland, or we don't subscribe to the oneness theology. Oneness theology says that God was God the Father in the Old Testament, but then God became God the Son in the New Testament. Now God is God the Holy Spirit in this age of grace that we now live in. They would say one, oneness theology says that God exists successively, but not simultaneously. But we believe that God exists simultaneously. He has always been God the Father. He has always been God the Son. He has always been God the Spirit. Now, throw that out there because I know there's a lot of people who are kind of concerned about modalism. What does that really mean? It means the model, therefore the word modalism, that God was God in the Old Testament as Father, God as God the Son in the New Testament, and God the Holy Spirit in the age of grace. But what that does, here's what oneness theology does. It reduces Jesus to where he did not live eternally. Or did he not exist uncreated before time even began? It reduces the triune power of the nature of God. It actually also misses the mark of scripture. So understand that this morning, make sure we're on the same page, we believe in one God who has existed eternally, forever, in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So who's the Holy Spirit? Number one, he is God. Here's number two, he is God with us and in us. Now that is you know this, reserved for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
The Holy Spirit is God with us and God in us. And you see on the screen already where I got that really easy statement straight from Jesus who said of the Spirit, he will dwell with you and be in you. This is what Paul told the church at 1 Corinthians chapter six. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit resides inside of you. What that really means is you're the house of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I think we know this, this, this building, when you're not here, guess what? It's just a building. But when you're here, you know what happens? It becomes the church. Because the Holy Spirit does not live in the gymnasium on the corner of 30th and, and, and Maple. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you, follower of Christ. You are the house of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the Spirit will be with you and the Spirit will be in you. Now we tend to kind of live life one of these three ways. And you see this on the screen behind me. Here's how we tend to live life. We tend to live life serving God in the Spirit's power for God's glory. That's probably what we're all aiming for in this room today. The second way we tend to live life is we desire to serve God, but in our own power and still for God's glory. Often we probably find ourselves in, in number two, like, I want to honor God. I want to serve God. But all I know how to do is, is just to operate out of my own power, my own personality, uh, my own skill sets, my own testimony of what I know about God. So often, a lot of us in the church today, we find ourselves in number two. I want to serve God, but I'm going to serve him with my power still for God's glory. And of course, number three, we would never want to aim for this. Often we accidentally, if you will, or very intentionally live this way. We serve ourselves. We live to serve ourselves. And by default, that means we're living to serve the enemy in our own power and for our own glory. So you look at that list behind me, I would say that we often tend to live life in, in one of those three ways. And we, and we think the gap, we think the gap is between number two and number three. What we say, God, I really wanna serve you in your power for your glory. Or God, if I can't do that, I'll still serve you. But in my power for, for your glory, I definitely don't wanna be number three. That's at the very bottom of the list. I would never wanna serve myself, therefore serving the enemy in my own power for my own glory. We think the gap is between number two and number three, but actually the gap is between number one and number two. How often do we try to serve God? When I say serve God, I mean do the right thing in our own power, in our own flesh, even in our thoughtfulness toward the glory of God. And if you wonder where I came up with that list of three things or that thought of even loving God in our own flesh, and even for the glory of God is still so much less than number one. It's what Jesus said in John chapter six, verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life and feel the conviction and the weightiness of these words. The flesh is no help at all. And I wonder in my life, looking back, and maybe you might want to wonder in your life, looking back, how often we have leaned into our own flesh, even with good intentions, our own strength, our own personality, our own giftedness, our own skill sets. But Jesus says to us, even for those who are striving to honor God, the flesh is of no help at all, but the Spirit, he gives life. So this morning, I wanna be as pragmatic as I can with you to answer this question, how are we led by the Spirit? You may have a monopoly on the answers, and if so, pray for me as I try to unpack this. 
Or if you're somewhere where I am, I know there is a Holy Spirit. I want to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, but I want to understand fully what that really means to be led by the Holy Spirit. I would encourage you to take out a pen or pencil and hang with me this morning as we go to God's word to understand the answer to this question. How are we led by the Spirit? Would you go with me, please, to Galatians chapter five, beginning in verse 16. Your copy of God's word is about the ninth book, not about, it is the ninth book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. Go to Galatians chapter five with me, please. And once you get there, just know I'll be in this passage and this passage alone for the remainder of my time with you. Galatians chapter five. I'll begin in verse 16. This is the word of the Lord. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, there's a key phrase for us this morning, but if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, they're so evident. We see them all around us. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I've I've warned you. And I've warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against these things, there is no law. There's no manipulation. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, they have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited and provoking one another and envying one another. Let me give you some thoughts this morning. Let's pull some truths, some principles from this passage to answer that question. How are we led by the Spirit? Here's the first thing I want to share with you. Live in Scripture saturation. That's the very first step. If you desire, daughter and son of God, to be led by the Spirit, it's going to have to begin with you saturating your life with the Word of God. Do you see this tension that's happening in verse 17? For the desires of the flesh, that they're they're pitted against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit, they're they're pitted against the flesh. They're opposed to each other to keep us from doing the things that, that we want to do. There's this wrestling match going on. How do we know the truth? How do we know the things of the spirit? How do we discern the things of the spirit? Well, it begins with living in God's word. First, the Holy Spirit who gave us God's word. That's what it says in 2 Peter chapter one. It was the Holy Spirit who carried people along, who carried men along to to write out these holy scriptures. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus told us, leads us into all truth. So friends, if you will sit in the word of God and you will love the word of God, the Holy Spirit will guide you into the word of God that you might be led by the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit will never contradict himself. The Holy Spirit will never lead you to do something that's in opposition to the revealed scripture, the the revelation of God already that we have in his word. So if you were to say to me, hey, pastor guy, I really wanna live a life led by the spirit. I just don't have time for God's word. I would lovingly say to you, then you don't want to live a life led by the spirit. You're gonna have to saturate yourself. This is where the disciplines come in. 
If you wanna be led by the Spirit, it begins with Scripture saturation. Here's the second thing. This might sound really new to you. Honor and confess his presence. Honor and confess his presence. Here Paul says in verse 16 of chapter five, I want you to walk by the Spirit. If you were to drill down deep into the original language, it's not that much different than what it says here, but it really is saying also walk according to the Spirit or walk empowered by the Spirit. And so the Scripture is telling us that we are to walk every day. And as we walk every day in our spiritual journey, we walk in the power of the Spirit, understanding His presence. So I would encourage you today and this week to honor and to confess His presence. To ignore the Holy Spirit is foolishness for a believer. It's unforgivable for a non-Christian on his last day. But for you and I to push back against the voice and the guidance and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, that would be insanity for us. Because this is how God guides us by his Spirit. So we need to honor the Holy Spirit. We need to confess our need for him. We need to confess his presence. Remember, the promise has already been given to us that Jesus said this, he will dwell in you and he will be with you. He will dwell with you and he will be in you. See, that promise is already given to us and so you don't have to conjure up some feeling that the Holy Spirit has come upon you because the promise has already been given to you. He will be with you, he will be in you. And so when people ask, in fact, I would say my top three questions I get by email or face-to-face. Somewhere in that top three is, hey, tell me how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And my answer might be so simplistic that you may wanna talk to someone more mature in the faith than I am, but here's my simplistic answer. When someone says, how am I filled with the Spirit? I always say, ask him. And then live a life of obedience. Ask him to fill you and then live a life of obedience. So this week, I'd encourage you, as you desire to be led by the Holy Spirit, I pray we desire to be led by the Holy Spirit, I would say to honor the Holy Spirit, to confess his presence, to confess your need for him. I wonder sometimes if we live our lives as if the Holy Spirit didn't even exist. And if so, I'll point you back to the words of Jesus. The flesh is of no help at all. Here's the third thing I'd say to you, obey his guidance. Obey his guidance. I'm just, I just lifted this out of Galatians chapter five, verse 25. When Paul says at the very end of our passage there, if we live by the spirit, and I love this phrase, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Uh, for you NASCAR folks, the Holy Spirit is the pace car. He, he's out front and we're keeping up with, with him. We're to keep in step with the spirit. What does that mean to keep up with the spirit? It means that we obey him when he guides us. I love the story of Philip in Acts chapter five. Where, where Philip was, was told by an angel, first of all, to go on the other side of Jerusalem down that Gaza road. And when he got there, Philip was looking around and the Holy Spirit says to Philip, you see that chariot? I want you to go to that chariot. Here's one of my favorite two words in all the Bible. This is Acts chapter eight, verse 30. And it says, he ran. What would we do if the Holy Spirit whispered to us, hey, I want you to get in a chariot a car with someone that you don't know. You see that car over there, chariot, over there, I want you to get in that car, I want you to get in that chariot with an unknown man. What would we do? We would debate the Holy Spirit. We would call together a committee. 
we'd call our friends, we would wait. In fact, we would even use very biblical language like, God, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm gonna wait upon you. I, I need a sign. I need a really clear wonder for me to know if this, this is you. I love that Philip ran. Like talking about keeping in step with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So I want you to go to that chariot and you know the rest of the story. Philip crawls in that chariot and there in that chariot is an Ethiopian official. And the Ethiopian has the, the scroll of Isaiah open and he's so confused. And he looks to Philip and goes, can you explain this to me? Philip explains Isaiah to him, leaves this Ethiopian official to Jesus, baptizes him. Philip baptizes him all because, listen, all because Philip ran. All because he kept in step with the Spirit. So I would say when you know the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do something, don't wait, don't hesitate, don't argue with him, you go. Which I know begs these questions, or this one question, hey, pastor guy, how do I know it's the Holy Spirit? Because how do I know it's not me? Or worse yet, the enemy? Or just expectations I've put upon myself. I'll give you a really quick three-question test to understand if it's the Holy Spirit or not. Number one, does it honor God? Number two, is it in alignment with scripture? Number three, is it for the good of others? If you feel an urging and a leading, and my gosh, if you hear the voice, I've never heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. I assume he sounds like Mufasa from the Lion King, but I've never heard him before. And if you have, I'd love to hear what his voice sounds like, but I've heard him a lot louder than that. I've heard him in my heart several times before, this leading, this urging. So if you have this leading, this urging, go through that test real quick. What I'm about to do, is it gonna honor God? Is it in alignment with scripture? And is it for the good of others? In other words, we'll give, I'll give an easy one to you. This week at work, or this week in your neighborhood, or this week um, with, with, with some friends, you know of someone who does not know Jesus. And you feel this leading, this urge, or a voice that says, I want you to share the gospel with your friend. I want you to share the gospel with your coworker. I want you to share the gospel with your neighbor who does not know me. Now, how do we know that's the Holy Spirit? Number one, would that honor God for you to share the gospel? Check. Does that line up with scripture that we should go into all the world, including our workplace and our neighborhood? Check. Would it be for the good of someone else? Well, if they believe upon Jesus, check. What about giving to someone? Maybe, I'm not necessarily saying giving to the church. Maybe it's giving to, to someone in need. Maybe it's giving to, to someone, in, again, in your friend circle that has some needs in their lives. Or maybe it is giving to the church or giving to God through the church. You have to step back and go, is that the Holy Spirit leading me to give? Well, first of all, does it honor God? Yes. Is it lamp of scripture? Yes. Is it for the good of others? Yes. I would run if it matches up with those three questions. Uh, we'll, we'll be more, I'll, I'll step on your toes more than that. What about you're watching something or streaming something or in a theater or on your phone and you're watching something and there's something in your heart that, that begins to impress upon your small S spirit. This doesn't feel right to be watching this. I feel like I might be grieving the Holy Spirit and even listening to this. For you to walk away or even walk out, would that honor God? Well, yes, purity always honors God. Does it line up with scripture? Yes, we're called to live lives of, of purity. Is it for the good of others? Well, it's for the good of my heart. That's when you run. That's when you keep in step with the pace car. That's when you keep in step with the spirit. It, it happened to me four days ago when I was in my office and had this unbelievable impression in my heart to reach out to a friend of mine named Grant. 
And he may be live streaming, so hello, Grant. Sorry, I didn't tell you I was gonna tell you the story before I did so. I had this impression in my heart, a deep impression. I needed to write a text message to Grant. So I sent, I had not talked to Grant in probably a year and a half. Sent him a text message and I said, hey man, just want you to know the Lord told me to pray for you right now. God loves you right now. And I know it's been a while since we've seen each other, but I love you. Right now, I love you. You know, sometimes you send a text out and it's hours or days before someone texts back. And there's other times you send a text back and immediately you see the little ellipsis of someone writing you back. That, this is what happened immediately. Within five seconds, I get a text back from Grant. He goes, you have no idea of what is happening in my heart now, not yesterday, right now to receive this text that God loves me, that you love me, that God told you, the spirit told you to pray for me right now, you have no idea. In fact, you need to know, I'll call you. And we talked on the phone for 20 or 25 minutes and it was unbelievable. Like I have goosebumps on my arms right now. It was that unbelievable of where he was, the point in his life, it was a, a hinge point for him. And the spirit prompted me simply to reach out to him. Did it honor God? Yes, encouragement always does. Does it line up with scripture? Yes, we're told to encourage and to pray for one another. In fact, we're supposed to, to devote ourselves to praying for one another. Was, is it for the good of others? That day, it was for the greatness of Grant. I'm asking you, I'm telling you that we need to obey his guidance by keeping in step with the spirit. The fourth thing I want to show you is just some, stop, some stops and some starts. Uh, two years ago, Yesterday, I was climbing down, finally, Mount Kilimanjaro. It was 20 miles up Kilimanjaro, 20 miles down Kilimanjaro. And as I reflected upon that trip, even recently, two years ago, making that hike, I remembered that the, the portion of that trip, the essence of that trip, really, was stopping and starting. It was coming to strategic places to stop, to, to get some food, to get something to drink, to sit down for a while, to adjust our packs, and then it was a strategic time of starting. And sometimes we would start again and we would get to a certain point and stop and have to go back a little bit because of the, the lack of oxygen. And then we'd start again. Then we would stop at nighttime and we would set up our tents and we'd sleep for a while. Then it was time to start. And sometimes we'd start when the morning broke. And sometimes we would start at midnight and start up on, on that peak. Kilimanjaro was all about stops and starts. And I think life is also. So can I give you a few ways as we keep in step with the Spirit, some things we need to stop. I'll, I'll start with the negative word first, stop. If you wanna be led by the Spirit, stop following a culture that doesn't follow God. That'd be a great place to start. Stop following a culture that doesn't follow God. Are there words that are more appropriate for our nation during this day than verses 19 and 20 and 21? Now the works of the flesh, and I will parenthetically say, now the works of our culture today are so evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of being angry, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these that I warned you, and I warn you again, Paul says, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, And so you and I, brothers and sisters, we gotta stop following a culture that doesn't follow God. Because constantly we're being told what to wear, how to act, how to react, what we think about things. I wrote this in my notes for me this week. I'm gonna pass it on to you as well. We can't strive to live like everyone else and be led by the Holy Spirit. 
We're gonna have to make a choice. And I would say some of you make the choice this morning. Are you gonna be led by the culture? What the culture says is right, what the culture says is accurate? We're gonna follow with the thinking, that the mass thinking of our culture. You can go that way or you can be led by the Holy Spirit. You can't serve both of those masters. You have to choose one. So stop following a culture that doesn't follow God. And I would say very, very close to that is, is what Paul wrote in the book of Romans uh, chapter 12. And I'll just read this to you. You don't have to turn there, but you'll see it on the screen behind me. This is what Paul said to the church of, of Romans. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then after you've no longer conformed to the image of the pattern of the culture of this world, but you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is scripture saturation, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Look how great God's will is. It's good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know the problem with Israel? They always wanted to be like other nations. You know our primary problem? We always wanna be like everybody else but we can't follow a culture that doesn't follow God. Closely related to that, I would say stop following friends who aren't led by God. I'm not saying you shouldn't have non-Christian friends. In fact, just the opposite. You should have amazing friendships with non-believers. What I'm saying is don't follow them. Don't be influenced by their patterns. One of the reasons often we don't hear the will of the Holy Spirit because we're too busy listening to the will of other people. We press into friends long before we press into the Holy Spirit. We, we look for the advice of other people, even if they're non-believers, before we run to Scripture and see what Scripture says. Our, our friends tell us, you should do this, you should watch this, you should look this way, you should think this way of these type of people. This is what Solomon said in the book of Proverbs, the person who walks with fools will eventually become a fool. Or as the old country preachers used to say, if you want to soar like an eagle, stop running with the turkeys. Same thing. If you're gonna be a fool, it's because you're walking with fools. Don't and stop following friends who aren't led by God. Here's my last stop for you. Stop living a life that minimizes God and maximizes yourself. This is offensive to the Holy Spirit. To live a life that's all about us, that reduces God and maximizes us. This is what we see here in verse 24. If your Bible's still open, just pulling this truth straight from Galatians chapter five, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, we have crucified the flesh with all these passions and all these desires. Therefore, we now have the ability to stop living a life that minimizes God and maximizes ourselves. I would say to you this morning, every problem we have ever created for ourselves is because of what you see on the screen. We have minimized God and we have maximized ourselves. Adam and Eve minimized the word of God, minimized the command of God, even minimized the goodness of God and maximized themselves and billions have died. This is what we need to stop doing in order to be led by the spirit, to stop living a life that minimizes God and maximizes ourselves because when we minimize God, this grieves the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16 says everything the Spirit does is under the authority of God. When we minimize Jesus, we grieve the Holy Spirit. In that same passage in John chapter 16, it says that the role of the Holy Spirit is to flood a spotlight onto Jesus. So when we minimize God, we minimize the Son, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Okay, those are my stops. I'll give you a few starts and I'm done. Start with the desire 
to be led. You know, a lot of Christians, we miss out on being led by the Holy Spirit because we don't like to be a people who are led around. We wanna be in charge of our own lives. And so we see right here back in this passage in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, here it is again, we need to keep in step with the Spirit, which means the Spirit is the one who is his leading us. I'll just kind of put it bluntly. We like leading ourselves. We don't want anyone else to have the authority. We don't want anybody else to be in front of our lives. And what an interesting phrase, our lives. When we've been crucified with Christ and therefore we no longer live, but Christ now lives in us. And this life that we live, we live by faith, faith in the Son of God who gave himself up for us. So it needs to start with the desire to be led. The people who are desperate to know God are people who are desperate for the Holy Spirit. I wonder at times here in the States if we're no longer desperate for God because we're doing just fine without him. So if you were to say to me today that I'm not desperate for his spirit at all, to me I would say it's a sure indicator then that we have grown content with knowing little about God. It starts with the desire to be led. Here's the second start, and I'm almost done. Start with a yes before the spirit even poses the question. Start with a yes before the spirit even poses the question. Let's look back at verse 25 and 26 again. If we live by the spirit, we're gonna have to keep up with the spirit, live in accordance with the spirit. So let us not become conceited. You know, conceit raises its head most severely when we think we know more than God. Isn't that the ultimate of conceit that we as the created might know more than the creator? And yet often we will not give our yeses to God until we hear the content of his questions. God, I'm not gonna say yes because you might require too much of me. I'm not gonna say yes to this yet, God, because what if it, 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 it makes me struggle with my, my schedule or my finances or my plan for my life? How conceited are we to wrestle with God over the questions he asks of us? Here's a real practical word. Tomorrow morning, I challenge you to say yes to the Holy Spirit before he even asks you a question. Holy Spirit, the answer is yes. However you're gonna ask me to obey today, yes, I will. Whatever you require of me today, Holy Spirit, my answer is, is yes. I will tell you yes every morning, even before you begin to lead me. Here's my last start. Start a regular inventory of your surrender. And really, I think that's what verse 22 is. It's an inventory of how surrendered are we to the Holy Spirit? How led are we to the Holy Spirit? What is our fellowship? In an inventory of fellowship, how are we doing? Verse 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the display of the Spirit, the proof that you're being led by the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things or is no law. Again, you can't manufacture those things yourself. You can't manipulate those words into your own life that only comes by the Spirit. You know, you can fool pretty much everyone. You certainly can't fool God and I would say you really can't fool yourself. So if you're in this house today and you struggle, it is an effort to be a person of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and, and self-control. And you have to force those things 
They don't seem natural to you. You have to force those things to happen. This is only means one of two things, and, and listen carefully. It means that you're very immature in being led by the Holy Spirit, or you're not a believer in Christ. Because someone who's being led by the Spirit, love is easy. And joy, no matter the circumstances, and peace in your heart, and peace with God, and peace with others. A gentle spirit, a faithful spirit, living a life of self-control. These are, these are, this is evidence. So take an inventory. If you force those things, you have to make those things happen in your life, you have a long ways to go. And you can begin with what I'm telling you this morning or today. Listen, believe upon Jesus Christ and receive the Holy Spirit. Have this life that's living inside of you. My last thought for you is this. We become like that which we behold. We become like those things that we esteem. We become like those things that we treasure. We become like those things with which we most relate. And so I'm calling you today to treasure the Holy Spirit, to confess him, to honor him. Because that's, that which you esteem, you'll become just like, here, here's a little follow-up sentence I wrote down for you. We conform to the object of our greatest affection and attention. So listen, friends, if your greatest affection is for the things of this world, you're gonna look just like the world as described in verse 19, 20, and 21. If your greatest affection, your greatest attention are the things of God, being led by the Spirit, honoring God, loving and esteeming and treasuring Jesus, you'll become like the character of the Holy Spirit. What is the character of the Holy Spirit? I'll say it again, love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and kindness and self-control. You'll become like the object that you most have affection for and give attention to. So you might say today, hey preacher, I've never been led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has never led me to obey. The Holy Spirit has never prompted me to, to give or to, to maximize God and to minimize myself. I have never, if you're here today, you might say, I've never been led by the Holy Spirit. I have a very sobering word for you out of the book of Romans. Romans 8 verse 14 says, only those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Only those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. You know what that is? And we don't like it here in our nation much. It creates a dividing line. Either you're in Christ or you're not in Christ. How do I know I'm in Christ? Have you been led by the Spirit to obey, to love Jesus, to magnify God the Father? If you've been led by the Spirit, you're a daughter of God. You're a son of God. But if you're not led by the Spirit, you're not a child of God. So it leads me really to this very last slide today. What should we do this, this very moment today? Christian, you can commit yourself to know, obey, and love the Holy Spirit. Or non-Christian today, you can believe upon Jesus Christ for life and receive the Holy Spirit.